Hey everybody and welcome to show number two of the Sunny 16 podcast. This is Aid. here uh, I am this week with my co-host Graham. Graham, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you Aid. It's good to be back here again. It feels slightly weird saying that as, as we sit and record this, uh, episode one has not actually made it out the door yet, so we're kind of crossing our fingers and hoping that it does whilst continuing to throw these shows out into the dark, dark void of the internet. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully, yes, they'll get through the iTunes gateways before we like to ship episode two. Uh, although the, oh, the whole topic about episode numbers kind of reminds me of my boy who is currently six years old and watching a lot of Star Wars and is talking to me about all the different movie numbers. But there we go. <laughs> so, what, what order are you showing him the films in? This is always an important question to ask. What order is he watching them in? It is, isn't it? Well, I, he is watching the original movies first. <laughs> You're making him watch the original ones first. Well, they uh, are. He is only six, so yeah, a lot of the new ones. A lot of the new ones are twelve A, and it's reasonably well accepted. I think that twelve A means you need to be at least eight, you know, to watch them because they are a little bit more violent and a little bit more yeah a little bit the content not quite so good for the younger children and if i think about having watched the the latest star wars movie the the ep opens is it, is it are we allowed to do star wars movie spoilers now it's been six months hasn't it? no let's no. go with no <laughs> have you not seen whatever I, it's called I, I have but let's just go with no guess what guess what people get real jerks about spoilers Okay, so, all right. That's not without, without spoiling it, the opening 10, 15 minutes of, of the most recent Star Wars movie, A Force Awakens, The Force Awakens, whatever it might be. A Force Awakens. I think it's Gravity <laughs> that wakes up. <laughs> is, the, it's, is it the weak nuclear force? Oh, it's like talking to your granddad about this stuff. It really is. <laughs> yeah, the weak nuclear force awakens. <laughs> okay, so we're in the weak nuclear force awakens. Uh, the first 10 or 15 minutes are not really suitable for a six-year-old boy but anyway so the point is he is watch uh, he he has been watching uh, the first three movies and uh, he knows about all the other stuff because he's madly into lego as well so he's got all these Le star wars lego and books gotcha. about star wars and things like that but yeah does this uh set a precedent for tangents in this episode <laughs> Uh, it's important to set that precedent good and early. Tangents, we will take them. They're my favourite kind of fruit. Is it worth a quick Google to see that, that that movie was actually shot on film and that might have some sort of reference to our podcast or you, you know what? with it? I am reasonably confident, with a fairly high degree of certainty, that the first three Star Wars films were shot on film. I mean, you know, back in the late 70s when Star Wars came out. Okay, fair enough. I meant the new one, but okay, yeah, the first three movies probably were shot on film. All right, so there we go. We've established a link between Star Wars and our podcast. Yeah. However, more importantly, I understand that you have a new arrival in your household. I have. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Um Last May, um, my birthday's in May. Um, I want everyone to make note of this now so that when it rolls around next year, you can all get me gifts. Um, but my <laughs> birthday's in May. And it was shortly after that that I was on Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website, and I happened to see a project called uh, the Ondu Pinhole Cameras. Now, this is apparently the second time that they'd... This is the Generation 2 of their cameras. And what they were kickstarting is these uh, handmade wooden pinhole cameras in a variety of sizes for uh, 35 millimeter film, 120 roll film, uh, 4x5 cameras, up to even huge 8x10 uh, large format cameras. And as I'd already mucked around with pinhole before, just doing my own homemade stuff. Um, mostly converting cameras, I thought, ah, I, I actually would quite like to have a good quality, nicely made camera. And they look really nice as well. And I quite like with Kickstarter supporting people who are trying to live their dreams. So I backed this project back in May last year and they had hoped that they would be shipping, I think October, November was <laughs> their original aimed for ship date, November, I think. 
But these guys live on the side of a mountain in Slovakia and they had various problems along the way with getting the huge machinery they needed up to them and then when they finally managed to get this machinery up there, some of it didn't work properly and there were delays and there were setbacks and and they were very good. They kept in touch and let us know what was going on, but it was frustrating for them, probably far more than it was for me. Anyway, the camera finally arrived yesterday. I was got home from work and there's a little note from the postman saying, your camera is here. And it's lovely. It's everything I'd hoped it would be. It's beautifully made. It's got no screws or anything like that in it. It's all held together with just wood glue and magnets. Strong magnets hold everything in place where it needs to be. It's got natty little spirit level on the top so you can make sure it's all level. It's got viewfinder marks. It's great. The camera model I chose is the multi-format roll film camera. So this has little inserts in the back that you can take out and adjust. So it will shoot either 6x6, 6x9, or 6x12 negatives. Now, 6x12 negative is a pretty big negative. It means that if you're shooting 6x12, you're only going to get six pictures out of a roll of film uh, which is great because it always takes me forever to get through a roll of film. <laughs> so obviously that's what I'm shooting. I uh, stuck a roll of Neopan Acros 100 film in here because the great thing about the Neopan Acros is that it doesn't... Oh boy, I'm about to go down a hole which I may regret going down. Neopan Acros. Go for it, go for it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to get this so wrong, but the, the vague outline will be all right. It can't, it can't be as bad as a Star Wars tangent before we've even started. No, that's true. With all films, they start to suffer from what's called reciprocity failure as the shutter speed gets longer. And as far as I can understand, that's basically that when they're not getting that much light coming through, the light starts to fall off before it's had a chance to develop. Does that sound right to you? Anyway, what it means in practice is that whereas on FP4+, plus the Ilford film, up to a one-second exposure, that's fine. You can just meter it as usual. Go, okay, that's a one-second exposure. But as, you go, as the exposures start to get longer than that, you actually have to start adding on even more time to allow for this reciprocity failure. And that can make the shutter speeds jump dramatically. So you can end up with shutter speeds running into the minutes and even hours very quickly with films that have a high reciprocity failure. And the nice thing about the Neopan Acros is that it doesn't really suffer with reciprocity failure. So you can just meter for the conditions and not have to think about adding on any extra time. Does that make sense, Aid? It does. It does. I... I not an area really that I have delved into uh, long shutter speed film photography something I've I've read about and I've certainly heard about reciprocity feeling before not something I've had to deal with so I am going to buy your argument and your <laughs> explanation hook line and sinker and I'm going to say well done <laughs> what I suggest to anybody who wants to find out more is just google it there's a lot of math involved and, and science and stuff like that. But I don't understand any of that stuff. All I know is that with some films, you need to... On, on every film that you get, you can get a data sheet which tells you what the reciprocity failure is, and it gives you a little graph. So you can look at it and go, okay, well, if my shutter speed that I need to have for this exposure is 10 seconds, I'm going to need to add on another five seconds for reciprocity failure and it gives you a little graph kind of thing and you can work it all out from and with the neopan you don't have to do that oh which that sounds was the, ideal yeah, yeah that was an exhausting tangent well done that it's very brave I've it's been that actually because that's like science and maths and it's stuff that people can easily call you out on if they want to oh that's why i've left it as vague as i can possibly leave it well um, let me let me lead you back to some safe ground then so yeah. you decide you've bought an ondo 6x12 multi-format pinhole camera 
they look amazing when you see them on the internet. The, the URL is ondopinhole.com. And tell me about how it is to use. It's really nice. I, it, I think it's because it's so well made and it's made this... I can't remember what the word is. If you've got the website in front of you, you can probably look and tell me. It's one of those things that it's just really nice to hold it and to handle it. It has really good hand feel, for want of a better phrase. <laughs> um, loading it was really nice and easy. It's got the two film windows on the back, so you can watch the shutter speed roll through. and uh, Not the shutter speed, the film numbering roll through. The wind-on is nice and smooth. Yeah, it's because it's a pinhole camera, you need to use it with a tripod, but that's part of the course. The shutter is well-designed, and you can adjust the tension on that. It's just it's just a nice object, and it looks nice as well. This is the kind of thing that you could ha- cheerfully just have it sat on a shelf and enjoy looking at it. Uh, they, their aim when they were making this was to make a camera to pass down through the generations. Uh, whether is it that lasts, right? Is that, that right? That's well, I'll tell you of, what, you're right. It certainly does look the part. I mean, yeah, just to describe it for those that haven't seen it, uh, there are two different colours of wood. Of a very light wood, very light indeed, uh, and then a darker one, which makes the uh, the surround or the or the chassis, and they do look like beautiful things. Yeah, and as I said, because it's all all the components are held in place, so the back is held in place by magnets. The hand handles to roll the film through, they're held in place by magnets. The shutter locks into place because of magnets, so it all has this really nice feel to it they all just you you know what magnets are like <laughs> like it's the most impossible thing to describe you know how magnets feel they feel great magnets and wood lovely combination actually magnets and wood usually a terrible combination but on <laughs> it's a remarkably <laughs> ineffective combination but on this occasion they work really well and okay. i am sorely tempted now that i've got this to look at getting one of the large format pinholes that they make but as you quite sensibly said maybe i ought to see how i get on with this one first before i rush out and buy one of those bad boys well you know large format is large format and that's all great and what have you but a six by twelve is a pretty large negative it is it is i'm i'm just they as having that really wide negative really appeals to me i know that i was quite inspired by some of the stuff you've shot in the past aid with that cinematic ratio what is the ratio for the cinematic size you might know this off the top of you they they uh, they go quite wide it, it, they're not all the same actually but uh, your your standard tv these days being 16 by 9 is they're, they're often wider than that i quite often shoot at a, a two to one ratio which i suppose would be an 18 by 9 if you like so a bit yeah. wider than a t- uh, the, than a tv uh, but the the movie formats they go through sort of 2.2 2.35 to 1 uh sometimes up to 2.8 to 1 so you know you you're you can get really really wide with some of these uh, large screen movies and as well I mean you said as you say I've shot like that before and and I still do I'm a sucker for a a, a, a wide format so uh I would be sorely tempted to shoot everything at 6 by 12 if I had one of these no, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, they also make a six by seventeen mega panoramic camera, which I think you get four shots to a roll out of. And it's got a curved uh, back plane to get all of that in, but that looks amazing. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of this. I probably should mention because we talked about this last week as well. This making pinhole cameras and using pinhole cameras for anybody that doesn't actually know what a pinhole camera is. Uh, a very very brief description is that a pinhole camera doesn't have a lens it just has a tiny hole and that tiny hole focuses the light onto the film at the back and pinhole pictures have quite a distinctive look don't they eh? they're a bit softer they tend to be higher contrast they they have a, a a feel to them which is unique to the medium and, uh, I, I agree. I, I love the look, actually. Uh, yeah, so what I would say is, yes, a bit softer because there's, there's there's no glass to focus. Uh, what you're relying upon is, is the laws of physics in the sense that the, the pinhole is small enough that it can create a sharp image, but it's never as sharp as, as glass. 
often characterized by a light fall off away from the center so you know blurrier towards the edges as well as darker towards the edges which as you say this is why the the ondu 6x17 has a curved film plane to help reduce some of that light fall off so it doesn't have to travel so far to get to the film i guess yeah uh, and yeah it's it's a look that i like uh, if only I had the patience to to use a tripod and to to hang around for ages while uh, while the the camera takes its shot. Yeah, I mean that is the downside because you're using a very tiny hole. Um, so the aperture on most lenses they'll close down to f16, f22, maybe even something like f36, which is a really small aperture on a normal modern lens. But these pinhole lenses are quite often around f276 so they're letting in a really small amount of light uh i as i said my camera turned up yesterday and i shoved the roll of film in it and then didn't get any time at all to use it during the day so just before i jumped on to talk to you this evening i dashed down the road with my camera and my tripod to get a couple of pictures just to try it out before the light went and the exposure time went from 25 seconds when I first got there and the sun was setting, but it was still a reasonable height in the sky within 10 minutes time. That shutter speed got to two minutes. So you're not hand holding these pictures at all. But the other great thing about pinhole is, I mean, like I said, this is a really beautifully made camera and it's been made as precisely and as carefully as a pinhole camera can be made. Really the, the pinhole is precision drilled to make it perfectly circular. So you'll get as sharp an image as you can do. The distance from the pinhole to the film plane has been calculated to make all that right. But you can play real fast and loose with a pinhole. You can make a pinhole camera out of anything that you can make into a light, tight box. Um, the, you People make them out of beer cans, Pringles tins. I made a pinhole camera, a large format Pringle. Uh, a large format pinhole camera out of a, a large biscuit. Large format Pringle. <laughs> a large format Pringle out of a biscuit hole. Um, <laughs> and my favourite one of all time was a guy who was making single shot, unsurprisingly, pinhole cameras out of a, a roast duck. And he was he was buying these. This was in uh, China. You'll be unsurprised to hear. He was buying these roast ducks making an, enough of a hole in there, shoving some photographic film in there, taping the pinhole over the front of them with duct tape and what have you, going out and taking a picture <laughs> with, with... With duct tape. With duct, <laughs> duct tape, yeah, exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, puns. And the images that he got from this camera were not very good. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Really? Oh, well, <laughs> because he was thought. taking them with a roast duck. But the thing is, it doesn't matter because you took a picture with the roast duck. Who cares what it looks like? If you've got a visible image, no one's going to criticise you because you just sound and go, well, you take a better picture with your roast duck then. So I love that. And uh, I, I do love the inventiveness that can come from pinhole photography. One of the other forum members, Dave, uh, is another fellow pinhole addict. And over this last year, he's made pinhole cameras out of wine boxes and all sorts of fun things. So it's it's a really good uh, play space for people who like to experiment with making things and just generally dicking around. But as I said, this was a Kickstarter project, which leads us on quite nicely to something that I've seen this week and I'm hoping that you've got the page up in front of you because the name of what this stuff is alone is a bit of a mouthful for me. Have you got it in front of you, Aid? I, I do, I do. This is a Kickstarter called Galaxy Hyperspeed 120 for medium format camera. How and awesome does me... that sound? <laughs> Just a little, it's Galaxy Hyperspeed 120. Yeah, back back to Star Wars again, aren't we? So, right, okay, so given that this is a Kickstarter, it has a description it says dp <laughs> paper <laughs> yeah okay all right dp paper on 120 roll for medium format camera the swiftness of polaroid with the nostalgic look of classic 
black and white pictures. Okay, so I, I can speak to this a little bit, just because I have some experience of some of the elements that this is talking about. So I mentioned earlier that I made myself a biscuit tin pinhole camera. And because it was made out of a biscuit tin, this was a large format camera. So what, what I was doing was slapping in my sheet of photographic material, taking a picture, and that was, it was one hit at a time. And what I used for that is a direct positive paper. It's Ilford's direct positive paper. So when you take it, so it's a paper like you would use for printing actual prints onto, but instead of getting a negative image from it, you get a positive image straight away. So you can take pinhole shots with this. It was made primarily for pinhole shooting. You can put it in the pinhole camera, take a picture of it, and you have the finished print straight away. You don't have to do anything else with it once you've developed it. Does that make sense? It does. I'm saying I, was that just about to ask, I was just about to ask you, actually... Uh, don't you have to stop it from reacting somehow? But then you oh, said yeah. you have to develop it. So yeah, you have to. But obviously, with with normal photographic medium, whether it's a negative for a film, which as the name says is gives you a negative, and ordinary photographic paper, which is also going to invert the film, which is why you turn a positive into a negative on the paper. This paper is a direct positive. The drawback with it is it's really really slow it has an iso speed rating of about one to three uh, which when combined with a pinhole aperture of f200 and something left me with shutter speeds until i made some adjustments of about half an hour <laughs> I, I was literally setting the camera up whilst i was at work opening the shutter up and just walking away and getting with some work and then coming back half an hour later. What this Galaxy Hyperspeed stuff is, they've already made large format paper for this, which is a previous Kickstarter. This is now paper on a roll. It's direct positive, but it's much faster than the paper that I was using. So I think the ISO is supposed to be about ISO 100, which makes it a usable product in everyday settings and the idea is you shoot this film through whatever medium format camera you want to use whether it's a Hasselblad or a Holger get through your roll of film then you develop the paper in the chemicals that they also supply and then you have pictures it's that simple you have you don't have to do anything else with them you can then cut that roll of film up and you have individual 6x6 or 6x7 or 6x12 if you're shooting it through my mammoth (laughs) pinhole camera, pictures ready to go. And that's where the instant is coming from in this whole pitch. So I don't know, what what do you think of that? I I I think it sounds intriguing. It's uh, the the idea of of shooting directly to a piece of paper. I mean, it, 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 it smacks of history in some ways and and uh, you know uh, arts and crafts in other ways mm. uh it's i guess you're gonna uh, appeal to people who want to experiment as you say and people who like to to do things a little differently but does it would it qualify as an alternative process maybe because i mean they're, they're quite fashionable at the moment aren't they yeah i suppose it would it's not th- they're developing a new technique. I think from the little bit that I read, this is actually an old technique which they have gone back to, found, and then completely reworked to make it more effective. So I don't think this is the first time that this idea has come up. But yeah, I think I guess it would count as an alternative technique because there's nothing else like it being used at the moment. I argue with the idea of it being the swiftness of a Polaroid, but... Um, <laughs> Their, their pitches that that you can take the pictures and then develop them there and then and give people but I there's a few steps to that development process there's more I don't I don't think that's the kind of thing you're really going to be doing at a party but uh, not, it's not a very good party yeah that's that's <laughs> the thing not a very good it really party. does it really does depend on the party I suppose but yeah <laughs> yeah they, as I said, they've, they've, this is their second Kickstarter, so they've already got the large format film out in the world. 
and I'm more tempted to give that a go, I think, because the, the thing that puts me off slightly is that a six by six picture at the end is quite a small picture to have. And it, it's fine with the Polaroids because you really are, you're getting it instantly and you're getting a color and there's that whole experience kind of works for me. But when you're having to go through the process of developing it and, and doing everything else and you you get these little six by six or six by seven photos at the end. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not sure I'd want to go through that hassle for it. And also you can't just buy the film and then use it in any chemicals. You need to use it in their specific chemicals. And because they're over in the States, it's quite expensive to get them shipped over here. I did find there is somebody, a seller in France supplying their chemical. So it might be cheaper to get it from there, but it's, it is certainly more appealing to try the large format version of it because uh, that could be quite good fun and it could certainly help with the pinhole photography side of things. But yeah, I just thought it was, it was an interesting thing. It's it's as the resurgence of film carries on, uh, it's, it's an interesting new weapon in our arsenal. Well, that all sounds very interesting, actually. I something I have no knowledge about shooting directly to paper uh, or even really the pinhole thing so yeah it sounds like you've got a lot of fun coming along there ahead of you with the on-do pinhole camera and I'm very much looking forward to seeing some of those 6x12 negatives and see how they come out the thing for me this week actually has been more about acquisition rather than anything else acquisition of lots and lots of shots and acquisition of cameras as well so i've just been on holiday for a week uh, a week to scotland uh, where uh, we spent a lot of time as a family visiting relatives but also managed to do some sightseeing as well and i even managed to sneak out once or twice around sunset for a couple of photo walks just me on my own very nice yeah it was we were based in the center of edinburgh and uh, whereas a lot of the uk this week has had absolutely terrible weather in scotland it's been glorious and i've come home with not quite sunburn but certainly plenty of color and you know that's the second year in a row actually for a scotland trip where it's been really nice weather so we are doing rather well at the moment anyway on the photographic front i have been focusing on 35 mil shooting uh, this week typically i take slrs for that so i have a couple of 1980s mid 1980s nikon slrs slrs uh, fe2s uh, chosen primarily because they still have that classic metal build you know small you know old-fashioned slr feel to them but they are modern enough that they have aperture priority which is kind of the way that i see the world when i'm taking photographs aperture first and the rest of it all has to come into line so i had uh, one of those with me filled with uh loaded with i should say a uh, color film and one loaded with black and white the black and white being the last of my fuji neopan 400 so all i can say is it better come out all right uh, happily because of the sunshine there was plenty of contrast to be had uh, in Edinburgh and all the other places that we visited so I'm looking forward to seeing some nice contrasty black and white shots come back from that and that is I suppose uh, part of the acquisition bit in that I have been shooting what for me is quite a lot I went through three rolls of 35 mil film all of them 36 shots so that's well over 100 photos that is that is a lot I'm feeling quite proud of myself for the fact that this week I managed to take I think six pictures with my Bronica and properly with a, not a broken one uh, six pictures <laughs> with my good good working bronica with lenses and everything and i think i've taken maybe four or five pictures with my yashica tlr i'm feeling really proud of that achievement the fact that you've managed to get through three rolls of film is insane yeah I, well and i took a digital camera and i know this isn't a podcast about digital photography but you know i do have uh, or I do tend to take with me a digital camera 
for those snapshots and and family stuff and and what have you that you know that are not necessarily uh so deserving of film or have uh, Hang on, did, did you just say those members of my family who are not so deserving of film? Mm, <laughs> you're a bit too fugly to... to I'm not going to waste one of these precious Neopan 400 <laughs> shots. There's a limited amount left and you are not I worth it. I think you're reading way too much into hey, it's, that. It's just what you said, dude. It's no, just I, no, 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 no. The shots may not be worth it. The people are always worth it. But there's some stuff, you know, where you're capturing stuff just for the record, isn't there? You know, yet another photograph of Edinburgh Castle and all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. I t- you, you take one or two of them on film and you take the other hundred on digital. Uh, but I actually, so I've, yeah, I, I have shot well in excess of 200 photographs this week. A uh, hundred or so, or just over a hundred uh, film uh, shots and just over a hundred or so digital shots, uh, which will now probably languish in Lightroom for some while until I have nothing better to do than process digital photographs. If, if two or three of those are good enough to warrant printing, they may get process the rest of them might just stay where they are which of course is one of the downsides of digital and is a bit of an achilles heel for me because i'm very lazy when it comes to post-processing well we we could just leave that you're very lazy full stop the end i mean i think that's probably just where it needs to stop there all right we'll stop there we'll <laughs> stop there so there's an element of well yes there's been an element of acquiring photographs capturing light whatever it is that the the latin or the greek origins of the word photograph actually mean i've been doing some of that this week and i've also for some reason, taken a leaf out of your book and started buying crappy cameras. Yay! <laughs> Not that the undo is crappy. No, that, yeah. That, 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 <laughs> that, that clearly, that is is several levels above the usual kind of camera thing. Yeah, you that, buy. That, that wasn't the only camera I got this week, but um, yeah. <laughs> if only they did the undo camera with a lens. But there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I have in a fit of paranoia, I bought a couple of Holgers. I have a Holger already. That's such a weird fit of paranoia to have. I'm so anxious. I better buy a Holger. Well, okay, there is that. So, so for those people that know about Holgers, there is there is a reason to the to what sounds like the madness there. The the Holger being. Uh, I guess you'd probably call it a toy camera, uh, a plastic fantastic. It is a medium format, six by six centimeter negative uh, plastic camera made in China, sold generally out of Hong Kong, probably since the late 70s or early 80s. And with a quite some quite high profile fans actually there were some you know well known press photographers and uh, and artists who've used them uh, as as you sometimes find with these toy cameras anyhow the reason behind all of this is that they they've stopped making them uh, a couple of months ago and the prices have gone through the roof and i only had the one and i love it <laughs> And I've been worried about it breaking ever since they stopped making them. I never worried about it before, but I've, since they stopped making them, I've been worried about it breaking. And so I've been looking for half-decent priced things, uh, versions, I should say, and uh, to see if I can pick any up. And, you know, they've been, they've escalated quite significantly. And some of them, uh, some of the slightly more desirable editions of the Holger, uh, the specifically the uh, the square shooting 120 format ones with either uh, a glass or a plastic lens in in the color black uh, bearing in mind that these comes these things come in some quite ludicrous colors but the inside of the box is the same color as the outside so if you buy the luminous yellow one you're going to get some interesting uh, <laughs> <laughs> i like it some interesting color casts to your shots and maybe some maybe some light bouncing around inside the box as well so the yeah so i i spotted this week uh, a company in london who seemed to have somehow found on a shelf five bog standard uh, well not quite bog standard because they have the glass lens rather than the plastic lens but yeah a fairly basic black holgers and so i, I snuffled up a couple of those because they were going at a at half decent prices so yeah that's something i i will no doubt uh, put a couple of rolls of film through each of those when they arrive and then i will have a choice of three yeah um, one of the one of the joys of them is that you know they they do have due to lack of production control they they all have different 
rendering of images, different features, different personalities. So actually, it's going to be nice to have uh, uh, to see what different versions come out as because I've never had one before. And it gives me the opportunity, of course, that you know that uh, deserving podcast co-hosts might be able to borrow one occasionally and you know as long as you don't take a screwdriver or (laughs) a hammer or a chisel to it or anything like that well i mean yeah that you see i would love to because my experience of these chinese or hong kong made plastic cameras uh, really only started this week because i also got another camera this week the debonair which I, i mentioned briefly last week and the debonair is like the holger it's another uh camera out of actually this one says made in hong kong uh all plastic camera modeled after the diana and i if i was going to describe it i would probably say it, it appears to be the, <laughs> get the beep machine ready <laughs> the worst piece of shit i've come across <laughs> Um, (laughs) it's just just relentlessly crappy and I have the lowest of low standards it it looks quite cool it's got this plastic faux light meter it looks a bit like the sort of you know on um, things like the Olympus trip they've got the selenium light meter thing around the the, oh yeah uh, it's got some plastic there to kind of make it look as it might have a light meter it definitely does not have a light meter it's got a focusing wheel that does turn but I don't think it does anything other than give you the impression that you might be able to focus the camera and it's got a shutter that just works I'd say 50% 50% of the time, maybe. <laughs> and and even when it does work, it sort of drags halfway across and then leaves itself a bit open until you take your finger off it. Uh, it's, um, it's probably the first camera that I've come across that is so bad I won't run a film through it because I doubt I'll get any pictures from it. Um, oh, dear. Just because of the shutter being so unreliable. So, so, so hold, hold it up to your microphone then and let us hear the shutter. Okay. Oh, hang on, it didn't fire. Hang on. Oh, God, I can't... Yeah, this is the problem. Okay, that sounds pathetic. <laughs> that really does sound yeah, bad. It's, it's, uh, it's not a real winner. Okay, just, just by, by comparison, this is a Nikon FE2. Okay, that, that sounds a little better. I'm not going to lie. That sounds a little better. <laughs> this, this, could you even hear that? That's my Unifex or Unifex. <laughs> okay, all right. The only one, other, the only other camera I have within my grasp is my Pentax Auto 110. Let's see if it doesn't always, doesn't always fire the shutter if there's no film in it, but I'll give it a try. Here goes. Well, that's good. That's yeah, a good yeah. clunk. There you go. That's, yeah. All right. So that worked. An amazingly loud clunk for such a small camera. Uh, <laughs> yes, as small as a kitchen matchbox. <laughs> as small as a kitchen-sized matchbox. Yes, absolutely. Uh, reference there for anybody who's only listening to this podcast for the first time to the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, okay, so so we talked about the Holger, we've talked about the Debonair, we've shared the sound of various different camera shutters so yeah so the holgers a uh, couple of those a uh, couple of things about the holgers one is it shoots a six by six negative and in that sense very much like a hasselblad <laughs> <laughs> and in only that sense <laughs> well, it's black with gray accents on it although in the case of mine the gray accents are mostly duct taped to keep the light out um <laughs> The, uh, it often comes with a plastic lens, although I, I prefer the glass lens. Although when I say glass lens, it, it's one very small, uneven piece of glass. I mean, it's not 17 elements in nine groups or something like that that might come out of a Zeiss factory. And it has two working apertures. Uh, on the later models, or on the earlier models, only one. But on the two late, two, on the later models, it has two working apertures: an f/8 and an f/11, and denoted on the body of the camera by a sun, and a sun peeking out from behind a cloud. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we t- we talked about this briefly earlier, and I'm going to bring this up because I, I doubt I'll ever talk about this camera in any other way. But the way that some of these cameras share or or, or explain to you what the different apertures are, I said it's 
the sun or the cloud or when they occasionally have the numbers on them or as it is on my Unifex, uh, it has the normal aperture for when it's a bit cloudy, I guess, and the intense aperture. <laughs> Does it really say intense? It says intense on it. <laughs> yeah, it's French. This is what you... This is why no, the French camera companies no longer exist because they put nonsense like that on the front of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and because all of their workers were on strike. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get any French listeners. It's fine. <laughs> okay, cool. So, yeah, so that was the Holgers. The other thing I've ordered, actually, they haven't arrived yet. Hopefully, they will arrive later this week. I only bought them a day or so ago. Uh, and was so surprised to find them at a half decent price that I bought two of them. <laughs> That's what happens when you take them by surprise. Indeed, yes. It's, yes I, uh, I felt I wasn't spending enough money, clearly. So the other thing I bought, uh, which one uh, is something that will make you laugh, I'm sure, is I have bought a camera called a Cosmic Symbol. Cosmic. <laughs> Cosmic indeed. Cosmic Most in- misleadingly named camera ever. <laughs> well, maybe. So uh, this is a 35mm camera. Uh, I'd say it's a rangefinder, but if I remember correctly... Um, it's, <laughs> You'd it's, say that, would you? You'd entirely... also say that the Pentax would fit into a matchbox! <laughs> I... Uh, Possibly more accurately, I would say it looks a bit like uh, a 1970s compact rangefinder, although actually the focusing is entirely zone focus. I, I have, I am holding my cosmic in front of my in my paws now. It, it looks, it looks like a cosmic. That is the only thing it looks like. No other camera looks quite like the cosmic looks. And it's most certainly, it's a viewfinder camera, not a ranger. It doesn't have a coupled rangefinder. Um, but it does actually have proper focusing on here. But it is the kind of, you know, you have to go, well, I think I'm about three metres away. I'll turn this to three metres. Rangefinder is definitely an optimistic description. Yeah, yeah. Viewfinder, viewfinder camera, though, doesn't really mean anything to me. It's just like, so, so there's a, a window you can look through. It <laughs> doesn't do anything other than you can look through it. Yes, that's exactly what this camera has. It has a window you could look through. It doesn't do any more than that. <laughs> Nailed it. So, let me let let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because this is partly inspired by you, actually, or maybe my apology. It's, it's your fault. <laughs> but you have recently bought, as I understand it, correct me if I get this wrong, a Fujian. 35 millimeter 1.7 lens is that right yes that is correct okay and this is a cctv lens that you bought off the internet it was Uh, 20 pounds (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sure worth every penny uh, and that's not oh that's not second hand is it that's 20 no, it's a new lens for <laughs> yeah. 20 pounds and uh yeah and, and you, you you get with it you get the the lens adapter that you need to, to fit onto your it's for the digital cameras and it it barely gets stuck onto the camera body at all <laughs> well a little bit it got stuck and for a while i was worried that my my fuji x pro was forever going to be married to this uh, lens but it's all right i've got it off now i did have a look at the the adapter mechanisms they look more like step up rings than adapters yeah they're they're Uh, basic yes anyway so the point is uh as we've said uh in the last episode for longer form conversations around the sunny 16 podcast we hang out with a group of people at the website pixelatedphotographer.com and earlier this week, or possibly, yeah, yeah, earlier this week or a week or so ago, you posted a picture of a yellow flower uh, taken with your Fujian lens on your, I guess, your Fuji X-Pro camera. Yep. And it had a lot of aspirational qualities. Uh, sharpness was not one of them. <laughs> nope. 
got maybe a little bit in the middle there, um, and uh, it, it looked in some ways a lot, uh, a lot like the almost light speed film photographs you took a few weeks ago. A lot of blurriness around the edges, as if somebody had zoomed quite quickly as they were actually in the act of taking the shot, and it gave me, it prompted in me a somewhat existential crisis. Um, that's that's what I'm here for. To prompt an existential crisis in you, which can only be solved by buying three cameras. <laughs> I know that feeling so well. That's that's why I have fifty of them. It's, there's been a lot of crises in my life. So, I mean, one of the one of the reasons you and I, I, I guess, or one of the ways in which you and I see see have similar goals with photography is that it, neither of us are looking for technical precision particularly. Actually, we're looking more to capture, you know, more more towards expressionism uh, rather than technical correctness in our photography. Hence, you know, your experiments with various different kinds of uh, of cameras and lenses and configurations of those, and you know, my work my love for things like Holger's and occasionally my Diana camera as much as uh, for any of my uh, much more technically proficient cameras. So I I saw this photograph that you took and that you posted and I started thinking and I started thinking about not so much have you taken a technically correct photograph of a flower over an expressionistic one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is an interesting line of thought to go down anyway. I mean, it, it is, but to be fair, it was only a snapshot of a flower. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. No, it, Which, it is was. Kind of your, which is kind of your signature image, in a way. I'm a gardener. I see a lot of flowers. <laughs> yeah, and, and you share them, and that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I used to be a lot worse. There's very... Actually, there's quite a lot of flower photos lately, but that's only because I've been trying out all these... Um, modified lenses that i've been playing with that that is true you have you you are in a sort of post flower phase these days more than yes um it, it it's it's the memory of you as a flower photographer rather than the actuality of it today the, the great thing about flowers is that they never complain about having their photo taken and they're quite good practice subjects i think anybody who's starting off in photography can do a lot worse i mean unfortunately it's a real cliche that they, a lot of pictures do get taken of flowers but as long as you don't share them all on the internet like I did, there were a lot worse subjects. Yeah, I mean, it worked for Van Gogh, didn't it? So, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I I seem to have acquired three new cameras. Well, I haven't got them yet, so I, I have ordered three new cameras, two more Holgers, partly because of paranoia, partly because I want to be able to express myself as a photographer and take blurry pictures of stuff. <laughs> and claim that I'm somewhat closer to being an artist because my photos are out of focus. <laughs> I'm not crap. It's my medium. Yes. Uh, see, for me, crap is my medium. Um, yes. and, uh, but, the, the, but genuinely, though, the Holgers are a little bit limiting. Now, li- limiting is good. It makes you creative. But the Holgers, because they have one shutter speed and only two apertures, if you stick a 400 ISO roll of film in there, you could probably get maybe three or four EV values for which you can actually take a half-decent exposed photograph. So if you go out on a sunny day, for example, and you put 400mm film... 400mm, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> that'd be good film, that, wouldn't it? 400 mm-hmm, film, it would, yeah. It'd be enormous. Uh, but it, so, uh, 400 ISO film in a, in a hole, and you go out on a sunny day, and you hit your, you can use your, your sunny 16 to, to guess, but then you really just have to put it on the, the sun icon, <laughs> which shoots about <laughs> F11, which technically, I suppose, given the... It, it works out at a, a, as being a little bit overexposed for a 400 ISO film, but that's fine, because most films can take it most films would prefer to be overexposed and underexposed and then you can get down to a sort of cloudy or or in the shade view but you can't take photographs indoors you can't do this that and the other so that i love the whole fantastic camera and yeah one of my favorite cameras to use but in some senses a bit of a one-trick pony so i thought well actually what if i had something that was slightly more forgiving in that you could set a number of different apertures, uh, but it would be you know, maybe a little bit more pocketable. Uh, maybe it used 35mm film, you know, so that you, yeah, I wouldn't have to worry so much about the cost of getting things wrong, and you could maybe, you could do a bit of, 
exposure bracketing then can't you say okay I'm, there's no meter in this camera I'm guessing but it's okay because it's only 35 mil film so I can afford to take two shots of the same thing and and so on and so on and then I remembered that a couple of years ago I had borrowed a cosmic symbol uh, I was prompted I think by flicking through Instagram and saw that somebody had used one I thought oh I remember that that's fantastic and so I just went and found one on the internet and bought one for all of about 15, 16 pounds or something like that uh, for what looks to be a pretty good condition camera. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with the Cosmics is that because of the way they're made out of slightly sturdier plastic, there's not a lot to... They always look quite smart. The thing with the, the, thing with the Cosmics is, because I've had mine for a while and I've shot a roll of film through it, and as I was telling you earlier, I was looking at the pictures on Flickr and the comment I made on uh, Flickr really sums it up. Right? It said, it's not a precision tool, but it makes up for it by being generally unpleasant to use. <laughs> really does kind of sum it up. It's just, it's a bit awkward. It's a bit fiddly. And you can't rely on it to wind on properly all the time. The ap- Adjusting the aperture is a fiddly, tiny little ring in the centre of the lensing. So if you're going to adjust the aperture, you're almost certainly going to smudge your fingers all over the lens at the same time. So that's a unique feature to this. <laughs> well, that'll be make, make, make it even more expressive. Well, that's true. They certainly are. And as, and as I'm looking at the pictures I took, I mean, some of them are just, OK, that was a double exposure. Well, that happened. That's fine. Light leaks, for sure. There's definitely some good light leaks going on. But also, with some of them, I mean, the... I suppose they'll certainly give you the impressionistic effect you're looking for, but I don't even know quite what the camera's doing with it. I don't know whether it's shutter drag or what on earth has caused some of the effects on these things. It's, yeah, it's certainly something. But I just found it when I was using it quite a fiddly... It's got all the settings on there. You can focus it. You can change the shutter speed between bulb and up to a 250th of a second. Uh, you've got an aperture range of f4 up to f16 but it's all just a bit fiddly and in some ways i the idea of the holgers and the diners appeals more in a sense that at least they're not pre- pretending to be quality like no we're garbage it's fine we're garbage just <laughs> uses like this whereas this is going no i'm a real camera i'm a real boy <laughs> oh, but, yeah well i i wish you more success with yours than i had with mine maybe now maybe when i see what you got yours i'll be prompt to try mine again maybe yeah, yeah I, you just sound like you're a bit down on it my recollection of of only using it for you know a, a couple of rolls of film maybe even only the one was that it i, I didn't find it too fiddly I mean, yeah it was easy to the, to knock the aperture ring so for, for those that haven't seen it uh, the aperture is uh, adjusted on the front around the lens element and it's a stepless aperture if i remember rightly yep. and is very very easy <laughs> to to nudge and so you you have to be very very careful with it. But I know I I don't know I don't know whether I found that part of its charm just because of the novelty or whether it just genuinely didn't bother me. But actually, my recollection is that I quite enjoyed using it. So I, I'm quite enjoy I'm quite looking forward to having one of my own uh, for the as I say for the princely sum of about sixteen quid or some somewhere around there. Certainly less than twenty quid, and that will be another thing that I have that I can try and use to pretend I'm an artist of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) Which isn't that why we're all doing this? Or is there some deeper purpose that I haven't clued into yet in all these years? (laughs) Searching for meaning in all the wrong places, I think, sums up my approach to it all. (laughs) Fair enough. That sounds like a song title. Is that a song title? Um, not yet, but I'll, I'll start working on it. I'm pretty sure I could knock, <laughs> knock together a song out of that. It sounds like some sort of 80s ballad. Yeah, uh, that sounds good. <laughs> okay, well, everybody loves an 80s ballad. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. So I suppose that's you know a bit of a long-winded update for the week, but that's what I've been up to for this week. I've I've shot over 100 film photographs, which I'm quite pleased about, although it did take a trip on holiday to do that. 
and uh, I have acquired three new cameras but haven't really acquired any yet because none of them have arrived so I can't uh, yet report on whether or not they were good purchases maybe next week right well uh, moving on uh, Graham I understand that uh, you've got a new topic a, a new segment for episode 2 of the Sunny 16 podcast that you'd like to talk about right now well this is our first grand plan experiment uh, don't worry even though it's an experiment it's not one of my experiments where you hit things with a hammer and then go <laughs> look science what we want to do is every month or at least most months pick one film that you and I and hopefully anybody else who's listening who can get hold of them wants to have a go at shoots this one film and we can muck around with it experiment with it and just see what results we get out of it and it'll give us a nice baseline to see because the the great thing about shooting film is that there's so many different types and so many different uh, looks that they all have and because of all that choice it can sometimes be quite difficult to focus on just one thing at a time I, I know that I can be a real uh, magpie being attracted to the shiny things so what we want to do is pick one film and say, for this month, we're going to just focus on that film. And we will uh, report back on what we're doing during the month and how we're getting on with it. And any things we try along the lines of trying it at different ISO ratings or in different cameras or anything else that occurs to us. And we will share our results. And also we will uh, make it easy for anybody who is also wants to join in and share results with us using the same film. Um, I think what we'll probably do is we'll make a group on Flickr and also stick a hashtag on Instagram or something like that. But people should, if anybody wants to get involved with us, let us know what's going to be the easiest way for you guys to do it. But anyway, that's the plan. That sounds like a good plan. Sounds like it could be interesting. So, uh, dare I ask, <laughs> what film have you chosen for this month? Well, as this is the first month we're going to give this a go, we thought we'd make it the lowest barrier to entry possible, hopefully, at least cost-wise. And that, at the moment, seems to be the Agfa Photo Vista uh, 200 film. This came to my attention because I saw a few film shooters, in mostly UK film shooters, referring to it as the Poundland film. Uh, the Poundland film. The Poundland film. <laughs> Poundland is a UK shop in which everything costs one pound. This film uh, is a 24 exposure roll of film and it costs one pound. It's a roll of colour film and it costs one pound. I think I mentioned it last week. It's one pound. Um, tell me, tell me, how much is it? It's one pound! <laughs> Uh, that sounds like a bargain maybe just to give all our listeners some level of comparison price point a roll of Fujifilm or or Kodak film that you know so one of the one of the big brands uh, and one of the big names like I don't know uh, uh, a Triax or a Pro 400H or something like that usually goes for six or seven pounds in the UK yeah absolutely and even for something uh, a more off-the-shelf thing like the Fuji Superior you're still probably going to be paying between four and five pounds for that if you can find it at a reasonable price so at a pound a roll, this stuff is a real steal. Now, obviously, not everywhere has pound lands. Uh, not everywhere has pounds. And for you people, we can offer only our sympathy. <laughs> but this stuff is available online. Also, I did a little bit of research into it, and the scuttlebutt seems to be that, uh, as with so many things these days, the Agfa name no longer belongs to the, the Agfa photo company of old. And that this is actually a rebadged film uh, of the Fuji C200 film. Whether this is true or not, I do not know. But for the purposes of this experiment, I'm choosing to believe that it is true. And Fuji C200 is another very readily available film, and it's very, very cheap. I'm not saying you could necessarily buy it for a pound online, but you can certainly buy it for a couple of pounds or whatever the equivalent of that is uh, in uh, dollars or euros. So that's the plan. Get hold of some 
Agfaphoto Vista 200 or some Fuji C200. Doesn't matter whether it's 35mm or 120 roll film. I'm pretty sure neither of those come in any larger sizes. In fact, I'm pretty sure neither of those things come in 120 roll film. So you know what? It's going to be 35mm film. But you can jam it into a medium format camera if that is your want, uh, as it's often my want. And just get out there and take some pictures. Uh, It's cheap and cheerful. There are still places on the high street that will develop this colour film. So you can drop it off at your local store. For, For me, it's my local boots. Uh, I don't know who it is for you, Aid. Who's your local film developers? The, there's a, certainly a Boots in town that I could go to, and uh, I work in London as well, so I mean there'll, there'll be numerous choices in London. So. Or maybe you're um, more high-tech. Uh, the aforementioned Dave off of the forums uh, has recently started. He bought a Tetanol C41 kit and is now developing his own negatives, his own colour negatives at home, so maybe you can do that as well. That's certainly something I'm going to be looking into in the future because I quite like the idea of that. So grab some film, take some photos, and please share with us what you've got. We will put in the show notes where people can do that if they have any desire to, and we would really love to see what you get out of it. I know there are a lot of people out there already shooting with these films, which is why we thought it would be a nice baseline to start with. And where we go from here, who knows? The idea is we'll try and get through as many films before they can be discontinued as possible. Um, because I know you mentioned earlier right, about your Fuji Neopan 400, now gone. That's a sad, sad thing, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it is a very sad, sad thing. And my my favourite, the Fuji Neopan 1600, now gone. And these films are whittling away, but they're still some great stuff out there so we just need to get out and shoot it and hopefully that will motivate us to do so well i'm looking forward to it i i've just had a look at the poundland website it says back by popular demand and then just underneath that it says out of stock <laughs> well that, but that's in the online store <laughs> that's in the online store there's there's, <laughs> there's a website called austeritiphoto.co.uk <laughs> which i've never heard of before um and by the way i've just googled you know ag for uh, Vista 200 and it has here uh, on austeritiphoto.co.uk a blog post with the headline Ag for La La Vista 200 baby (laughs) (laughs) the Poundland film review (laughs) that's from 2014 so they've been selling it for a while and um, our buddies at Lomography who single-handedly are raking in all the profits from analogue photography across the world are selling it for £3.90 a roll. <laughs> Galamography. But they do, have it in, they do have it in stock. So I well, think it's going to be an Amazon or eBay special, I think, for, for those that like us to jo- join in this, uh, unless uh, you want to throw your money around and, and buy it directly from the Lomo folks. Well, just, as you just said by last word of, Sorry, go on. Was you said last week, everyone's got the right to earn a, a living. They, they do. And do you know what? There's a bunch of stuff that goes on in the film photography world that simply would have died if it wasn't for Lomography. So I'm not against Lomography uh, as a company, and everybody does have a right to earn money, but £3.90 for a roll of this marvellous film that you've chosen for our challenge uh, seems a little bit steep. Just a little. Okay, right. Well, I'm going to go and order mine straight away as soon as we get off recording this podcast, which I think we've probably almost done, haven't we? I I think we've talked these good people's ears off long enough. Okay, well, in which case, all that remains to say is thank you to everybody who's listening to episode two. Quite why episode one didn't chase you all away, I don't know. Or maybe it did. And uh, thanks once again to Chris at pixelatedphotographer.com for all his support to the production of this podcast and for hosting the longer form conversations at the pixelated.com photographer.com forums uh graham would you like to tell all the good folks listening to us uh, where they can find sunny 16 podcast on the internet absolutely you can find us on instagram at uh, the sunny 16 podcast you can find us on tumblr at the sunny 16 podcast uh, we will have our show notes and pictures relevant to this conversation uh, so you'll probably have pictures of my on camera because it's a real honey and maybe we'll have some of holiday pictures that'd be nice who knows what else we'll find to show up there so we'll have the show notes 
on Tumblr and also on uh, the Pixelated Photographer website. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Sunny16Podcast. <laughs> but, but I'd go with Instagram first. <laughs> Instagram and Pixelated Photographer first seems like a safer bet to get hold of us. Excellent. Thank you very much. Right. Well, on that note, I think I shall sign off and say uh, goodbye. Thanks for listening. And we will see you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. There we go. A podcast. Oh.